we need to help journalism just because it's really important. But in the digital age, we need to make sure it survives even more. It, it, it's more fundamental, I think, now than it used to be. Hi, I'm Taylor Owen, and this is Big Tech. It's easy to forget that for a long time, there wasn't a business model for the internet. That's why the dot-com bubble popped. But then came along Google and Facebook. They found a way to take their biggest asset, their users' data, and to turn it into a product, advertising. Specifically, advertising that could target consumers with way more nuance than traditional TV or print ads. There's a lot to say about this type of micro-targeted advertising, its impact on our society, and whether it should even be allowed. But one thing is for sure. It captured almost all of the advertising revenue in the market and made Google and Facebook two of the most profitable companies in history. The problem is, this was the very revenue that journalism depended on for nearly a century. And journalism isn't like other businesses. We need it for our democracy. Governments have been struggling to figure out how to address this dilemma for years now. And last week, Australia may have done just that. Finally, Josh Frydenberg, the Treasurer and Communications Minister Paul Fletcher have released the news media bargaining code, or at least some detail on it. A world first move aimed at protecting independent journalism. Australia finalised plans on Tuesday to make Facebook and Google pay its media outlets for news content. At the centre of all this is Rod Sims. Rod is the head of Australia's Competition and Consumer Commission. And this new code is the result of a three-year inquiry into the businesses of Facebook and Google that ultimately concluded they were distorting the market. The code requires the platforms to negotiate with Australia's publishers over the use of their content. If they fail to come to an agreement, the government can mandate binding arbitration. Rod was the driving force behind this legislation and is now in the middle of a global debate about how governments should support journalism and regulate platforms. I wanted to talk to him about what exactly Australia is trying to do here and why he thinks this is the right approach. Because while there are lots of people who are applauding him, this code also has plenty of detractors. I sat down with Rod just a couple of days after the news media bargaining code passed into law. Thank you so much for doing this and, uh, and welcome. It's, uh, I can only imagine things are insanely busy and you're in high demand at the moment. Well, I think the pe thing people don't really realise is we've got a lot of uh, product safety, merger, uh, wholesale telecommunications regulation, enforcement cases. So uh, we're busy on a lot of fronts. We're right in the middle of a whole lot of gas issues at the moment. So it's more that there's a whole lot of other stuff on. I mean, this has been busy, don't get me wrong, but there's a lot else on as well. So taking on the two of the biggest companies in the world was just... A slice of the mandate, not the entire thing. <laughs> we just do that before breakfast, Tyler. <laughs> uh, so I want to talk about the code itself in more detail. Um, but first, I'm wondering if you can talk through the problem you were trying to fix. Yeah, so a number of points. Firstly, it's important to understand that Google and Facebook don't produce news. So it's not as if... Google and Facebook have come along and displaced what the media did. Uh, what they did do was uh, 
in a sense, become the internet. So it's always interesting when they talk about a free internet. I mean, they are the internet. Um, uh, uh, if you are interested in search, Google has 94, 95% of, of search in Australia. It's a stunningly high percentage. And Bing is about 3%. Uh, with Facebook, by far the biggest social media platform is Facebook. Number two is Instagram, which is owned by Facebook. So they totally dominate social media as well. So in a sense, they have put themselves between news media businesses and their audience. And they benefit from that. Um, obviously, they get, I mean, they get more people on their platforms because they're showing news. People stay on their platforms longer because they're showing news and uh, having more people go there, staying on your platform longer, all means you've got opportunities to advertise to them more. So Google and Facebook benefit enormously from having news media content. But of course, they don't pay for that in any way. In a competitive market, you would expect, uh, let's say there were four or five social media platforms on the one hand and search engines on the other to deal with. I've no doubt the news media businesses would find ways to do deals to um, have their content paid for because they might say, well, I'll give it to you and I won't give it to you and it's valuable, um, but you don't have that. So it, it's been very hard. Well, it's impossible uh, to negotiate with a monopoly. That's the definition of a monopoly, isn't it? That, that's right. That's yeah. what monopolies do. That's no uh disrespect to anybody involved that's what you and i would do taylor if we were a monopoly uh so what the code does is it allows news media businesses to bargain but then to go to arbitration uh to get an outcome if they can't negotiate one and what that does is it improves the bargaining position of the news media businesses in our experience in australia People usually want to avoid arbitration because then somebody else is determining what the deal is, but it evens up the bargaining power. You, you know, you, you've got a threat you can make just as they can threaten to say, well, you're not on our platform anymore. They can threaten to say, uh, well, I'll take you to arbitration. And so you get you then even up the bargaining power. You then are able to do commercial deals rather than take it or leave it deals. So. In a nutshell, uh, that's what the code is meant to do. So how is this going to affect the, the Australian users of these services? Well, if deals get done, and they look like they will be done with both Google and Facebook, it won't affect the individuals in any way whatsoever. The deals that are being done have been lump sum deals. That is to say, we'll pay you a block amount. You're not paying per click. It doesn't influence the clicks. Mm. It's a general payment for making your news available. And what would happen without the code? Do you do you really think is is the viability of journalism in Australia at the moment at risk if this kind of thing doesn't play out? Have you just see? Yes, I think that's right. Journalism in Australia has been in decline for some time, both in terms of less journalists employed more stretching of existing journalists and what they do with the bigger media organisations on the one hand and often smaller media organisations closing down so that a range of 
um, regional areas no longer have newspapers or print online, mm. uh, whereas they once had them. So it's been quite a noticeable change. And also there's less uh, court reporting, uh, less specialised reporting of health matters, education matters, as the news media has, has narrowed down. So it, it has been a noticeable decline in in journalism, which obviously damages society. So hopefully the code will reverse that trend. So I'm curious when you began this, I mean, there's a there seems to be a big debate going on about whether uh, traditional mechanisms of competition policy are sufficient for regulating the digital economy and whether traditional notions of consumer harm being a price-based measure, for example, is suitable for free services. So when you sat down to begin this process, did you were you thinking about how you could expand your mandate and the tools at your disposal? Or did you was it just a case of applying the things in a slightly different way than that were already there for you? Look, good question. Thank you. First of all, we have never in Australia applied a price-based approach as determining determining whether the consumer welfare standard would be met. Oh, really? That's just an American then, American thing? I think so. Yeah. I think it's an American thing. Uh, in Australia, you look at service standards, you look at the whole picture. If you interfere with the competitive process in a way that harms the person on the other side of your transaction, then that enlivens our competition interest. So it's not a you know, have prices gone up for consumers. That is a, a way too narrow approach and just emasculates sensible competition policy. But there's a separate point here, Taylor, and it's a very big point. I mean, firstly, the ACCC is the competition enforcer, the consumer law enforcer, and we regulate telecommunications and transport, and we're also the product safety enforcer and, and recalls and all that sort of stuff. So we have a very broad mandate. So we don't, I don't sit here looking through just a competition lens. We take a broad look. Separately, how this came about was not through a competition investigation or any investigation at all. It came about because the government gave us an inquiry. And when governments give us inquiries, it does so so that on the one hand, we might find a breach of the Act, but equally, we provide recommendations to government. So what happened here is we recommended a media bargaining code to the government because we found a problem, that problem being a market failure, being the bargaining power of Google and Facebook. So we used our competition analytical skills to determine the, mar the, the market power and therefore the market failure. But the remedy was never anything under our Act. It was new government legislation which passed the House, our, our Parliament, yesterday. So we pulled on all of our toolkit to come up with this, but ultimately it's new regulation imposed by government. Mm. That, that's really helpful. Thank you. I mean, so right now this only applies to Google and Facebook. Is that correct? They're the, the only two companies with market dominance in this space in Australia? Is Absolutely. That right? And that is just so incredibly clear. I mean, I, I when Google and Facebook claim that why, why us? Well, you've got 95% of search and you dominate social media. Who else would it be? 
And on the publisher side, who, how do you decide who qualifies to be included in this? Two criteria. Uh, uh, the, the, the lesser one is really you've got to earn at least $150,000 a year, which is a pretty low threshold uh, as a news, news media business. Secondly, you have to be producing core news. Now, core news is uh, public interest journalism, but it, it's what enlivens public debate. It's local court reporting and things of that nature, uh, but broadly defined public interest journalism. And so if you do produce that and you're above 150,000, you qualify. Is there anything that says that, that says what those companies can spend this money on? Probably not, right? That, that's correct. Having said that, I think there'll be a lot of community interest in seeing that journalism uh, expands. I certainly think if media businesses succeed in doing good commercial deals with uh, uh, Google and Facebook, uh, it's going to look pretty shocking if more journalists lose their jobs. Mm. Indeed, you'd, you'd expect extra journalists to be hired. So the whole world is watching including a whole lot of journalists who have an interest in the outcome here. In breaking news this morning, social media giant Facebook has followed through on its threat, restricting people in Australia from viewing news content. It seems like Facebook and Google now have, to a certain degree, come to terms with this being a reality. Uh, but there was a pretty significant display of power or influence or uh, control over the distribution of content online in Australia. So this morning, if you visit a news site, an Australian news site, via the social media platform, uh, you'll find there are no posts. You can't view or share news articles. Um, and I'm wondering why you thought they reacted like that. I always thought there was a good chance they would. Uh, I mean, Google and Facebook are very different businesses with very different cultures so they they did come at this in very different ways but ultimately they are used to dictating terms and when you're used to doing that it's very hard to change your mindset so i was very confident they were going to make those threats what i had no idea of was whether they would follow them through uh, but really it's the main card they've got to play to avoid something happening that they don't want to happen. Do you think the signals that other countries might be considering something similar was what they were re really concerned about? Oh, I think there's no doubt about that. I mean, if, you know, Australia is a, I think, 13th largest economy, but we're massively smaller than uh, the U US, Europe, uh, UK, uh, we're not that much smaller than Canada, but we're a bit smaller. Um, so uh, I think uh, they, they probably didn't want it to uh, spread to other places. And uh, I think it's probably fair to say the fact that they're trying to do deals now, um, in a sense, in advance of the code, but completely attributable to the code, um, is, is also evidence of that. What does it say about a company that would cut off reliable information in the middle of a pandemic? 
Well, I think it's extraordinary that a company would do such a thing without any notice at all to the government who they were in conversation with, but much more importantly, their users. Um, I can't think of another example of a company doing something like that. So I've been following this relatively closely, and there seems to be a fair amount of debate and confusion at the moment over whether the government or Facebook ended up backing down with the amendments to the code. What What's your interpretation of that? Oh, look, I think it, what, you know, I many years ago used to be involved in a lot of negotiations. And when you are negotiating, you try and find what matters to the other side that doesn't much matter to you. And so Facebook had some, well, there were two headings of changes. Uh, one was they wanted a bit more time between negotiation and arbitration. They wanted a month's notice of any designation. Um, those things aren't ideal, but you're not going to break a deal on the basis of those, so that was fine. And also they wanted some clarifications of things that we thought were the case all the time anyway. So I think really both sides got what they want. I mean, they they got things that didn't affect the core integrity of the code. They mattered to Facebook. What, why did they matter to them? Why did they want that? That I don't know, Taylor. I seriously don't know. I think if you have a negotiation and both are and changes are made, and from the government's point of view, they weren't significant changes. Facebook think they are. I mean, I think you just declare victory for both sides. Uh, uh, there's no doubt the integrity of the code remains. And, and the intended outcome of forcing or incentivizing negotiation is is intact. Yeah, I think it's, it's not forcing. It's, um, it's giving some bargaining power to the news media businesses when without the code, they don't have any bargaining power. So stepping back a little bit, there seems to be general consensus about the challenges facing journalism, the effect that might have on a democratic society. But there's a fair amount of debate about how best government can support journalism if it is indeed a market failure. And you've taken this particular route. Um, other countries, such as Canada, have provided direct subsidies for journalism, for example. They said, we, we agree you are, in, you are essential for democracy. You may be subject to a certain market failure right now. Therefore, we will subsidize in Canada. It's, we've subsidized journalistic labor. Um, why is the forced arbitration or mandated arbitration approach better? Or are these mutually exclusive? Or how do you view the, this landscape of policy options to support journalism? In Australia... The government already supports the Australian Broadcasting Commission, which is publicly owned entity. It supports the special broadcasting service. So the main way the government um, assists journalism, because it's a public good, you know, you benefit from it whether you pay for it or not, uh, is the Australian Broadcasting Commission and the 
special broadcasting service. Um, separately, though, the government has set up a, a fund uh, which has been going for a few years now to support regional newspapers and, and journalism. So they are doing that as well. I think for me, though, if you think about, well, what's the next step, then if you have identified a clear market failure and you think you can address that market failure so that some of the, the lack of funding going to journalism is happening because of this market failure, then the first best policy response is fix the market failure, which is what the code's done. I mean, no point having a market failure and subsidising your way around it if you've got a market failure, fix the market failure. Having fixed the market failure, if you want to support journalism more, then you can. But your first step is fix the market failure, and that's what the code does. And then maybe evaluate what the state of the industry and practice is once the market is functioning. That's that's right. I guess the other point to make, though, is it it can be quite tricky territory when government is funding journalism. I mean, the you, you you've got to be careful when you start trying to fund these things uh, that government money could influence the media, which of course would undermine it. I mean, you really want independent media. Now, there's also a potential problem with the platforms themselves funding journalism, and I'm wondering if you're at all concerned of the consequences of most journalistic organizations in the country being in part funded by platforms that they also have to be holding to account? I mean, that is very much an issue. Uh, but keep in mind, those same entities have accepted advertising for many years. And we still have newspapers in Australia they're still funded by major companies. So you do find occasionally that, uh, I mean, we find, for example, we might take a very big Australian company to court and one news outlet might not cover it very much. And then you find that, of course, they're getting a lot of advertising from that company. So it's not a new problem. Uh, the fact that the platforms are doing commercial deals with a whole range of players I think helps, um, you know, there's no, it's not, they don't have the ability to to sort of withdraw. It's a compulsory code. So I think it, it lessens the problem having the code behind it rather than just uh, advertising. Is there any market concentration problem in the industry of journalism as well? Because does News Corp, for example, have a dominant role in the mark, in the journalism market in Australia? Yes, it does, but I need to qualify that. So News Corp Australia probably owns papers that have 65% of the readership. Um, uh, and they, so, so that's a big concentration. Um, but now I think you segment the market differently. You, it's no longer a newspaper market. It's a print online market. So there's no doubt now that, you know, the Guardian has come in. Also, the Australian Broadcasting Commission, when I was growing up, provided radio and television. Now it's got a website, sends out 
news articles to people's emails addresses so you can read the news or you can go to their website so the abc is now a print online player uh, many of our television stations and radio stations have websites and they put their news up there so now if you're a reporter for a radio station and i get interviewed by them quite a lot i'll find a, that they'll not only do the interview for radio they'll go and write something and put it on the radio mm -hmm. website so there's and also i would add um you know you've had as i say the digital natives coming in and there's quite a number of those but also i can go online and get the financial times each day i can subscribe for that as easily as i can subscribe for a news corp paper so yes there's a, a, a too much concentration but it's it's getting better all the time because it's a print online market, not just a print market. Is there any case to be made for some sort of antitrust action against News Corp or any of the dominant players in the Australian media market? Or, or do you see this online shift just uh, solving the problem? Uh, I think the online shift helps a lot, but keep in mind, just as in Canada, uh, if you've got a high market share, that's not illegal nothing you can do about it. I mean, if it comes about because you do an acquisition, then you can do something about it. You can block the merger or block the acquisition. But just because somebody has, I mean, Google's got 95% of search in Australia. That's not illegal. Um, so no, there's not much that we can do about it. But uh, as I say, the problem is getting better all the time. I, I mean, if, if News Corp have got 65% of newspapers, they have probably got 10 or 15% of the uh, print online market. Because if you look at the, the top rating news websites, um, there's plenty of them. And you look at how much readership they get, uh, news is not dominating that at all, I'd say. But my guess is news is 10 or 15%. So once you go print online, you get a lot more diversity. So, so just so beginning to wrap up here, I mean, countries around the world, including Canada, are watching this. Um, Trudeau said he wants to collaborate with Australia in this kind of direction. Um, having been through this for the last number of years, and particularly the last two weeks, uh, what advice do you have for other countries heading into these waters? Oh, look, I think everyone needs to be aware of the importance of journalism um how they deal with the issue is very much going to depend on their legal and policy background so the europeans have done it through copyright we did it through negotiate arbitrate which is better suited to australia um so different company countries might do things differently but i think there is a lesson here that there is a market failure to be addressed and so if countries overseas countries learn anything it's that there's a market failure and we should deal with that uh, it's important to journalism and journalism is important to society and just finally we we mentioned earlier how this might affect citizens or not um in that in an ideal world this they will still get to get their news and um use the platforms as they already have um but what do you say to people who are looking at all of this and 
sort of not fundamentally sure what the significance of this is. And why ultimately do you think this matters? Oh, it matters because journalism matters. You know, journalism is called the fourth estate. It's the other part of uh, what you need for proper governance in a country, what you need for a well-functioning society. You people who are professional journalism, they have a professional set of ethics just like doctors and lawyers do. Um, and I notice that, how they work. Um, they're uh, cynical by nature. They um, question things. They don't accept anything at face value. And so that's just really important. I think also we're realising that with the internet, um, if you don't have quality news, it can be a real problem. You can get news that's not of good quality, indeed news that's described as fake news, uh, and that can be very damaging to society uh, and can uh, allow people to believe things that are just blatantly not true that make it hard to get cohesion in society. So I think both there's a problem with journalism, but there's also a problem with how the internet's functioning in terms of distribution of opinion. So we need to help journalism just because it's really important. But in the digital age, we need to make sure it survives even more. Mm. It, it, it's more fundamental, I think, now than it used to be. That was my conversation with Rod Sims. As always, you can reach me at taylor at bigtechpodcast.com. Big Tech is presented by the Center for International Governance Innovation and produced by Antica Productions. Please consider subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We release new episodes on Thursdays every other week. 